On this episode of Blue 58, coaching has been one of the root issues for this season's struggles. So what's different about this year? We explore that question as well as what happens if the Packers make a change, plus why Mike Daniels' injury means bad things for the Packers going forward and why a broken dumb is usually a big deal, except for one guy. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, excited to be with you here for episode number 128. Before we dive into this week's, or this episode's, uh, content, I wanted to take a second and apologize for the audio issues with the last, last problem, or last episode. I really, really feel badly about that. Um, thought we had things sorted out, but apparently stuff popped up later in the episode. Usually we would catch something like that, but, you know, it being a late night and everything like that, we didn't maybe have the quality control procedures that we should have, but uh, appreciate your patience and uh, understand if uh, if that is a frustrating issue for you. It's frustrating for me, so thank you with your patience there. I think we've got things straightened out here, and I'm, this, is, this is long overdue, and uh, I, I'm going to be taking some more serious steps to revamp the, uh, the entire podcast setup here, um, and I appreciate your support financially making some of that possible. Uh, the Patreon support in particular is going to be very vital for that. But but I appreciate everybody who has who's helped us continue to make this entire operation fiscally possible. And some of that support definitely is going to be much appreciated as we, we try to make some changes to, to the podcasting setup here. But in the meantime, thank you for your patience. Thanks for sticking with us uh, in the light of, of those issues. And I think this should be the last time because I realized there were some audio skipping issues a few months back. We should have things straightened out now. I've got some redundancy built in that we didn't have before, and, and moving forward, things should be a little bit better. In the meantime, we'll just do our best to put out the best possible content that we can and uh, try to take steps to correct it You know, if it becomes an issue again. So thank you for your patience there. On to the actual stuff that you want to hear about. We got a really great question from Jared Hernandez via Twitter this week. I tried to give a little bit of a response, but I think it's... Uh, think it's more than we can really deal with on Twitter. Uh, Jared asks, what is the difference uh, between Mike McCarthy's coaching? What is the difference of McCarthy's coaching between this year and last year's? Four and one, possibly five and one without Rogers injury at Minnesota. Rogers was playing at an MVP level. It hasn't been that this year, but still this season has been so mind boggling. First, a couple things that we have to uh, sort out there before we get to the actual substance. Um, Rodgers, I think, was playing at a close to MVP level last year before he got hurt. That is that is true. Uh, there were some struggles there, though. Uh, the 17-9 game at the start of the season was was not great. Um, the, the Atlanta Falcons game was not great. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals game was not super great until it was. Rodgers really came through at the end. And then it seemed like things were starting to roll a little bit out of that Bengals game into the Cowboys game. And then even at the start of the Vikings game, Rodgers looked pretty good. And then, well, we all know what happened there. Before we dive into the actual answers, I think there also have to be some caveats. I'm not sure how much it really matters from one year to the next what a, what a coach is really doing. You kind of have to take take each season as it is. Last year, the Packers were doing well. Don't know how much of that is due to McCarthy. And this year, they're not doing so well. And we're not entirely sure how much of that is due to McCarthy. Everybody gets credit and, and blame for for both situations, right? McCarthy was probably 
getting some credit last year. It's hard to remember back after all that happened last year, but at least at the start of the season, things were going pretty well. So what's the difference? What is different between last year and this year? From a 40,000-foot view, really zooming out, I'm not sure there's a super big difference. Because even if you boil down some of the issues that the Packers are having this year to their constituent parts, I think it really is pretty clear that, by and large, the Packers are running pretty much the same system they always have. It's probably better than people give it credit for, even though it's not super great. They're really just having some execution issues. And there are some, some issues there that are probably coaching related, but by and large, it's pretty much the same thing um, as it's always been. So if you want to really dig into it, I think if you're trying to, to, to pull out a, a, substantive dif- a substantive difference between the two years, you really just end up playing the results as much as looking at the actual facts. Uh, and that's never a good thing to do because you it, it really skews your analysis. Of course, he should have known what to do in that situation because we know, you know, it ends up being what ended up being the right call. It's really easy to look back and say, well, they should have done this, this, and this, this differently. You know that, though. But I think there are a couple identifiable things that we can look at that are different about Mike McCarthy this year than they were last year, even in past years. And the first thing is really his usage of running backs. This year, heading into this year, the Packers had a, a pretty capable stable of running backs, but really it's the same group as they had last year, uh, except with the with the notable exception of um, Devontae Mays and even Aaron Rupkowski. There's no Mays, no Rupkowski this year. But last year, top three running backs were the same. Ty Montgomery, Jamal Williams, and Aaron Jones. However, whatever order you want to put that in. The difference is, is how Mike McCarthy is using them. In pretty much the relevant portion of his career as the Packers coach, so, you know, the last five, six years, you don't really want to go back a whole lot farther than that, though it's basically the same. For the bulk of the back half of McCarthy's career, he's liked to use one running back as much as he possibly can, and then sprinkle in a a second running back to kind of spell that first guy. And we saw that at the start of last year. In in the first game, well, let's just go game by game and, and look at and see what the leading running back took in terms of the snaps. Uh, so this is not how many of the running back snaps they took. This is how many of the overall snaps they took. But in week one, Ty Montgomery played 90% of the snaps. In week two, Montgomery had 86% of the snaps. Week three, 94% for Montgomery. Week four, Aaron Jones finally plays. He gets 55% of the snaps. In week five, Jones leads the way with 88% of the snaps. So even in week four, the the game in which he played the most running backs, all three of the top three guys got snaps in that game, Aaron Jones still got more than half of the snaps. That's been the way that McCarthy has done things. Then Aaron Rodgers gets injured uh, and, you know, the entire season it it gets difficult to evaluate because you have a lot more noise involved in that signal-to-noise ratio. In 2018, though, things are different. In week one, Jamal Williams leads the way, but he only takes 62% of the snaps. Week two, it's Williams again taking 61% of the snaps. Week three, Aaron Jones is back from suspension. We get a three-way split. Jamal Williams takes 43% of the snaps. Montgomery gets 29. Jones gets 25. 
Week four, Aaron Jones leads the way with 38%. Williams gets 37 Montgomery gets 26 Week five, Williams gets 41%. Montgomery, 36 and Jones, 27 Things largely continue that way until Ty Montgomery is traded, and now Aaron Jones has really taken the bulk of the snaps. Uh, I think Jamal Williams only got one touch this past past game. I don't want to say this past week because it's almost by the time this episode goes out, almost a week since that game was played. The point is... There is a significant difference with what McCarthy is doing this year with his running backs. And I think that's had a a negative effect on the rhythm of the Packers offense. Aaron Rodgers is is very much a rhythm player. As much as he likes to play sort of off rhythm, he likes things to be familiar around him. And he likes to be able to count on the people around him. Even when it was Eddie Lacy next to him in 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 the backfield, that worked well for Rodgers because Lacy was dependable and he knew what you could get from him. If you're changing running backs every drive, I think there's there's very little rhythm to the offense and it gets harder to do things like a no-huddle offense because you, you don't build off of similar plays as well. So I think McCarthy is getting in his own way by doing that switching so often. Now we've seen the offense start to play better because he's pretty much just stuck with one guy, his best guy. Funny how that works. The second notable thing that's different between this year and the first five weeks or so last year is Jordy Nelson. And as much as I like some of these new guys, Jordy Nelson covered over some of the gaps or rough spots in the offense just through experience. He was dependable and reliable, and you always knew exactly what you were going to get from Jordy Nelson. Even in a diminished state, there was very little variance to Jordy Nelson. He was just not as much of a player as he was, but you knew exactly the player that he actually was, if that makes sense. Through five games last year, Jordy Nelson had 19 catches for 230 yards and six touchdowns. Those yardage stats are a little bit misleading. 90 of those 230 yards came on two plays, a 58-yard catch against the Bears, and then a 32-yard touchdown in week one. But the point is he was still producing. Six touchdowns are six touchdowns. You, You can't slice that any other way. Can you count on touchdowns every week? No, unless you're Devontae Adams, then pretty much yes. But um, touchdowns are touchdowns. So that that is significant production. That ability to be dependable, to me, is the sort of thing that is enough in those really close games. And one thing that you're seeing about last year compared to this year is how the Packers performed in those really close games, those one-score games. That's in its area where the Packers have had significant struggles this year and have been much worse this year than last year. In 2017, they had three one-score games in their first five games and were 3-0 and in those three opportunities. I'm including that week one 17-9 win over the Seahawks because eight points is still a one-score game. They're 3-1 and in one-score games if you count the Panthers game late in the season. Probably should, but Aaron Rodgers was not on in that game. It was his first week back from the collarbone injury. I think a fully healthy Rodgers wins that game. And I realize if you're healthy enough to play, you're you know healthy enough to be held accountable for the outcomes. Sure, I understand that. But there's degrees of being healthy. And Aaron Rodgers, if you look at that game, was clearly not 100%. In 2018, the Packers have had two... Or th- five, excuse me, one-score games, not including the 
Vikings game because that was a, a tie game, so it was a no-score game. I, what do you even call that? A tie, I guess. And uh, the Lions game, an eight-point game, which really wasn't a one-score game, but the Packers rallied late. You know how it all worked out. But the point is, in 2018, they're two and three in those close games. And I think winning those close games is the sort of thing that you do more regularly when you're relying on more veteran players. And the Packers haven't been able to do that as much on offense this year. Are they regressing to the mean with that record? Probably some, but I think these little things that the Packers are not getting done correctly on offense are are having a negative effect on the offense and on the team as a whole. And that's showing in, in situations like these one score games. These little things, ultimately, I think, are what you can point at with Mike McCarthy. And these are, and some of these things are not unique to this year. You know, timeouts being used funny, general organization, uh, some clock management question marks. Those little things add up over the course of the season, and they add up over the balance of a coaching career. And when they don't change over a period of time, eventually you got to pay the piper for that. And that might be what's happening with, with Mike McCarthy this year. They've won, they've been able to cover over a lot of, of those small bumps in the road in the past. This year they can't, and this year they're biting them. So I guess that ends up being three things that I think are different about last year and this year. Running back usage, uh, leaning heavily on, on rookie players as opposed to veterans like Jordy Nelson, and even to a lesser extent, Geronimo Allison. And then those those little things finally just coming back to bite them. Roundabout way of answering your question, Jared. I hope uh, I hope that that does it for you. So this kind of leads into another question: What happens if the Packers change coaches? One thing is for sure: if the Packers do change coaches, this is going to be a desirable coaching job. The Packers have a surefire Hall of Fame quarterback, no matter what Bob McGinn says. That's an entirely different ball of wax tried to make an argument. I think it was last year that Rodgers was not a surefire Hall of Fame player. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't make the Hall of Fame, he will be the first time, two-time, the first two-time MVP to not be elected to the Hall of Fame. Because uh, Kurt Warner made it in the not-too-distant past. A two-time MVP who won a Super Bowl ring, not making the Hall of Fame. Are you serious? Like, come on. He's been in the conversation as though one of the two best quarterbacks in the league for the better part of a decade now. He is a Hall of Famer. So if there is a change made at, at, at head coach and the Packers have a vacancy there, what happens? Well, like I said, desirable job. But what happens when they actually install a new coach there? What happens when the, a, a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback gets a new coach late in his career? What sort of results do they have? Well, I'm glad you asked because we have some information there. We identified, and I say we, what I really have to do is give a huge amount of credit to, to Gary on this, Gary Zillavy, partner in crime at the Power Sweep, doing some fantastic research on this situation. On, on times this has popped up throughout the course of NFL history. Um, we identified... 33 seasons in which a Hall of Fame quarterback went into a year with a new head coach without changing teams. So Brett Favre has a new coach in 2008, but that's because he went to the New York Jets. Brett Favre has a new coach in 2009, but that's because he went to the Minnesota Vikings. 
and it's still hard to say. Brett Favre, so those two seasons don't count, but in 2006, when Brett Favre gets a new coach and is still a member of the Packers, that is the sort of season we're looking for. So we're trying to find out in those situations, do these Hall of Fame quarterbacks go on to have significant success with that new coach? I think there are six seasons that kind of will illustrate the sort of odds we're looking for. To kind of spoil this, before we get too far into the weeds here, um, there haven't been a, a lot of quarterbacks who get a new head coach late in their career and go on to do great things. In fact, only one of them has won a Super Bowl, and that's John Elway, who at age 35 got a new head coach in the form of Mike Shanahan. But other than that, literally dozens of other examples, it doesn't end up working out for, for the quarterback, or for the team, I guess, for that matter. And that underlies a point that I think a lot of people seem to forget. And it's a really simple one. But winning a Super Bowl is really hard. Not a lot of people do it, no matter what you do. No matter which coach you hire, no matter what people you pick in the draft, no matter what free agents you sign, winning a Super Bowl is really, really difficult. And just changing one part of the equation, a head coach, doesn't mean that you're going to end up in the big game. I mean, I I say that, you know, end up there. Winning it is an entirely different thing. Most of these quarterbacks never even make the Super Bowl. Let's look at at these six examples of guys who who got new new coaches late in their career and ended up doing some good things. John Elway, at age 35, gets a new head coach in Mike Shanahan. It's 1995, and that year the Broncos go 8-8. Eight and eight. Of course, that's not what they, they're looking for. They're looking to get to the Super Bowl. And they do end up getting to the Super Bowl twice and winning it twice in 1997 and 1998. So there you go. Best case scenario, win two Super Bowls with your new head coach. Great news. Great success for the uh, the Denver Broncos. Unfortunately, it kind of goes downhill from there. At age 35, Dan Marino gets a new head coach in the form of Jimmy Johnson. In the 1996 season, they go 8-8 eight and eight that year. And they never reach the Super Bowl with Jimmy Johnson and Dan Marino together. They get to the divisional round in 1998 and 1999. Steve Young, at age 36, gets a new head coach. Steve Mariucci takes over for the 1997 season, and they do spectacularly well. They go 13-3. and They never win the Super Bowl, but they do reach the NFC Championship game in the 1997 season, of course, losing to the Packers. Troy Aikman gets a new head coach twice in his 30s. At age 32, Chan Gailey takes over, and the Broncos go 10-6 in the 1998 season. He's done after just a couple years, and Dave Campo takes over when Troy Aikman is 34. The year 2000 is not a good one for the Dallas Cowboys, though. They go 5-11, they never make the playoffs, and uh, Dave Campo never wins the Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys. But you knew that, of course. Then two final ones that may give you a little bit of hope. Outside of the absolute best-case scenario in 
John Elway and and Mike Shanahan. These are probably the best examples of of what we're looking for here. In 2006, Brett Favre at the age of 37 gets his first new head coach in a while. Mike McCarthy takes over. They go 8-8 that year. Not great, uh, but they do return to the playoffs shortly thereafter. In fact, make it all the way to the NFC Championship game in 2007. Great stuff there. That's all the farther they're going to go because you know what happens with Brett Favre and the entire organization after that. Then Kurt Warner at age 36 in his second season in um, Arizona gets a new head coach as well in the form of Ken Wisenhunt. The 2007 season, not super great for the Cardinals. They go 8-8, eight and eight, but the next year it all comes together for them and they go to the Super Bowl. After the 2008 season, they ultimately end up losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the more disappointing Super Bowl picks that I've made in my life. I wanted the Cardinals to win. I picked the Steelers to win, and they did. And it was a bummer because I didn't want them to win. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, The point of all this, again, is that changing a coach is not going to be a silver bullet. Sure, it might refresh a lot of things in Green Bay. It might make Aaron Rodgers better. And they probably need a new head coach or at least some new perspective in there at some point. So much of what's gone on with the Packers this year has just felt stale. And it's felt familiar. And that's been disappointing because we've seen the same frustrating negative tendencies out of Rodgers that we've seen. And nobody seems to be able to correct them. I don't know if a new coach can correct those things. There is the possibility that whoever the Packers hire next is worse than Mike McCarthy. Nobody wants to talk about that possibility. That's something that we talked about last year with the Packers firing Dom Capers. What if you fire the guy that everybody hates and then the guy that you hire to replace him is worse? It can happen. It does happen. It happens all the time in the NFL. Just because the Rams fired Jeff Fisher and ended up with Sean McVay doesn't mean it's going to work out that way for the Packers. We see it every every year throughout the NFL. Teams got to hire somebody. They got to have a head coach in there. They hire somebody and it doesn't work out. Look, for instance, at the Arizona Cardinals. They had a great thing going there. They had a great run there with Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians is gone, and they hire Steve Wilkes, and it's bad. They can't figure out a way to use David Johnson. They've got a new rookie quarterback who is not coming along the way that they thought he would right away, and it's ugly. And you may not get an improvement over the guy that you move on from. It's not a guarantee. I guess that's my point in all of this. We've got a number of quarterbacks on this list. I mean, Troy Aikman... For all the criticism of his Hall of Fame credentials, he was certainly a very good quarterback for a long time, but they they moved things around a lot with him late in his career, and they couldn't find a guy who could get them beyond 10 wins in their first season. I mean, Dallas, they've got more money than God. They, They will sign any free agent they can possibly get their hands on, and yet they couldn't get good results with their aging but still talented quarterback. That seems like a problem, and it seems like a possible outcome for the Packers. They're probably a little bit better off in the personnel management department uh, with Brian Gutekunst than the Cowboys are with Jerry Jones, but I'm just trying to say that it's not a sure thing that if the Packers make a change here, um, things are going to get better. Let's talk for a second about Mike Daniels. Could be out a couple weeks here with a a foot injury. 
This is bad for the Packers. Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, on a related issue, have played tons and tons of snaps for the Packers up front, way more than you would probably want your big defensive lineman to be playing. But Mike Daniels hasn't played fewer than 60% of the snaps in a game all year, other than the, the Bears game where he was a little bit banged up, and then this last game where he also left early. So that's a lot of playing time to replace. At the start of the season, that wouldn't have been an issue because the defensive line group when the Packers opened the season was Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, Muhammad Wilkerson, Dean Lowry, and Montrevious Adams. But that defensive line now is Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Montrevious Adams, Tyler Lancaster, and nobody else. Maybe James Looney by the time this podcast hits your ears, depending on what they do this week. But that's it. Whoops. Knocking stuff over here in the podcast studio. Flinging some elbows around. Point is, the Packers do not have a lot of depth on the defensive line, and that is a problem for them right now until Mike Daniels comes back. It needs to be addressed somehow, and I'm not sure the Packers have the bodies to address it right now. James Looney is not going to come in and solve your depth problems here. Montrevious Adams barely seems like he fills out a uniform on most weeks. And uh, Tyler Lancaster, for as positive as he's been as a rookie and undrafted free agent, is no Mike Daniels. He's probably not 60% of Mike Daniels. The Packers have a problem here on the defensive line, and it's probably not going to get better in the near future. While I've got you here, let's talk for a second about Jimmy Graham and his broken thumb. He broke it on kind of a dumb play. I said after the game, if you suffered through the skipping audio issues in the Seahawks podcast, um, I said it was kind of a dumb play. It was going to be a play that made some people mad. And, you know, looking back at the replays now, that is proven to be true. He broke his thumb, hitting the guy in the face mask on a on a block away from the play. Moral of the story is don't hit people in the helmet with your hands. He says he's going to try to play, or Mike McCarthy says he's going to try to play this week. I will believe that when I see it. And even if he does play, there's very little reason to think he's going to be as effective as he was pre-injury, which really honestly wasn't all that effective, though I have defended him. But this is a good opportunity to take a look back at Brett Favre's 2004 or 2003 season, excuse me, in which he broke his thumb midway through the year and played 10 games the rest of the season with that broken thumb. The Associated Press wrote the day after the game, or shortly after the game, about Favre's injury. (laughs) Well, it's just kind of hilarious. I'll read it to you. Quote, Brett Favre has a broken right thumb that's not serious and shouldn't prevent him from continuing his NFL record for consecutive starts by a quarterback. End quote. The only time a broken thumb is not serious is when it's somebody else's broken thumb. A broken bone is always serious, especially when you're a quarterback and especially when it's your thumb on your throwing hand. It's almost, is there a worse injury that can happen to one of your fingers if you are a quarterback? That he tried to play at all is crazy and that he played at all was even crazier. Here's Mike Sherman's assessment from the Associated Press article. He has a hairline crack on his thumb. If we had to play this week, he he said he could play with it. And hopefully in two weeks, when we play, it'll be better because the Packers had a bye right after uh, Favre broke his thumb. Favre actually broke the thumb during the Packers-Rams game 
uh, on the 20th of October, finished out the entire game, broke it on the first play of the game, and actually played pretty well. In fact, he played pretty well throughout the entire uh, run that he dealt with that thumb injury. In the regular season, 10 games, he completed 180 of 279 passes, just under 65%, for 2,100 yards, 21 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. Not bad considering he was throwing with a broken thumb on his right hand. Pretty incredible stuff. That's Brett Favre, uh, I guess kind of in a nutshell, just one of the, the many mini legends within his overall legend as a member of the Packers. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. We do have a normal episode coming out on Friday. We are recording it earlier in the week, but it'll come out on Friday, assuming the, the world doesn't end and you know crazy stuff doesn't happen for the Packers between now and then. But in the meantime, you can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com, on Facebook and on Twitter, and via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you would be so kind at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. In the meantime, we're going to be using that support money to kind of revamp our podcast setup here. Much needed, much appreciated. If you would like to uh, look good while you support us financially, you may do so by donating to our cause via a purchase of a t-shirt on teespring.com. Click the store link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. And as always, the freest and easiest way to support us is to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Blue 58.